it's time to share your story. Welcome to Revealing Conversations with Patron Nicole. Heart-led discussions that reveal, release, and unveil. You will leave this hour lighter, brighter, and inspired. And now, here's Patron Nicole. Good morning, everyone, and happy Tuesday. This is Petra with Revealing Conversations on Block Talk Radio. Well, I can't say it's a lovely day here today in Lake Oswego because we've had some very crazy weather around here. Our lake is frozen, and I just flew back from Long Beach the other day and came in at 3 in the morning and had to take a whole bunch of pictures on my camera of the lake, which was an incredible view of, of just snow drifts and ice, and it was absolutely gorgeous out. Uh, we are blasted in Mount Ashland with 11 inches of snow. So today, after I interview our very special guest that we have today, Lelhan, I will be driving down to Ashland and take off a few days to go skiing and get in shape for the ski season. But without further ado, I just would love to introduce our guest today, Sue Relihan spent 26 years as a police policy expert, often traveling to inspect law enforcement agencies around the country. During the same time, she was in a dysfunctional relationship with a man that would not acknowledge her public publicly that painful. In 2009, a near-death re-evaluate her entire life. Sue didn't understand the depth of the dysfunction of her life until she faced her own mortality and realized she needed to make serious life changes. In her book, Metamorphosis, she shares the story of her own troublesome journey with the hope to motivate and inspire you to look at and evaluate your own life choices. The title of the show today is, Is Your Lack of Self-Care Impeding Your Profit? I am so excited uh, to introduce Sue to you. Sue, are you on the other line? I am. It's nice to talk to you this morning. Welcome. Welcome to Revealing Conversations. It's really nice to have you here. Um, I'm, I'm just so blown away by uh, your career of 26 years working for the police as a policy expert and then going through all of, this, uh, all of these incredible changes, especially uh, you and I have in common uh, a near-death experience. Um, it happened to me when I was nine years old. And you were uh, probably, I don't know, in your 20s or 30s, maybe? I have no, no idea. No, I was in my 40s. I was in my 40s. You were in your I was, 40s, I was, okay. I was in my 40s, yes. Um, and it was definitely... Go ahead. No, go ahead. I, on the picture that I have of you, you look about 35 or something, so... <laughs> <laughs> Bless you. Actually, I believe you and I are very close to the same age. Um, and what I found in taking the look back, I had never realized that I had no desire to ever actually go into law enforcement. 
my dad had been in law enforcement for over 40 years. And one day back in the 80s, I literally went to work with him one day and walked in the back door. It was um, not, I knew I was going to take a part-time temporary job. And that turned into what was supposed to be a nine-week job turned into the 26 years. And at the height of my career, I was working with an organization out of Virginia, out of the Washington, D.C. area, that accredits law enforcement agencies and writes the standards in which they're supposed to keep their policies. And then it's up to the agency to prove that their policies meet those standards. My job at my own agency was to make sure our policies met those standards and then to do staff inspections. It, the reason I say all of that is it was never anything I meant to do. I actually have a degree in psychology. I've always had a wish to help other people. And I just got really far off track from what I know my soul's purpose to be. And it took, mm-hmm. in 2009, I had a pericardial effusion. The sack around my heart was filled with infected fluid. And I laid in the hospital for five days, which really made me stop and pay attention to what was going on in my life. And in writing the mm-hmm. book, it gave me the opportunity to um, really take a deep dive into what happened And I wrote the book because if somebody reads my story, one, they may be able to stop their own pattern before it hits that crisis level. Or if they've hit that crisis level, they know that they're – I really love inspiring and empowering people to find their way out. So let me ask you this. uh, How did you get so deeply into the crisis? Like what happened? You – sort of drifted away into another arena of your life or you were overworked? So what what happened exactly? It was a combination of um, some political changes in the organization that I worked for. And then in my own personal life, I had been in a very dysfunctional relationship. The relationship ended prior to 2009, but at the end of that relationship, instead of becoming more empowered, I actually just spiraled down and stopped taking care of myself, which is really where the self-care piece comes into all of this. I had to put myself back on the top of my priority list and rebuild my health. Really, I had a tremendous amount of health going into the time period where I was writing the book. And then like so many other, I created a small business I own, a business called Find Serenity and Empowerment. And when I was first starting out, I was, as I think some of us jokingly say, I was working 80 hours a week um, because I'd given up a a 40-hour-a-week job just so I could work for myself. And after the release of my book, I realized I had let some of that self-care slip and Instead of riding the wave of, uh, I released Metamorphosis 
on April 14th, it became an internet, a number one international bestseller on Amazon. And I realized looking back now, I didn't have the energy to ride that way. I didn't have the energy mm. to really capitalize and monetize what I could have those first few months. And so mm. what I've realized now in the last few months is that the bottom line really is self-care. Mm-hmm. Well, this is really interesting because the title, the, when, I, when I read your description and your title of the book is Metamorphosis, in the 30s or 40s, there was a, a very famous, famous, famous author. He's one of the big thinkers of Germany. His name is Franz Kafka. And in high school, we all had to read that book by Franz Kafka called Metamorphosis. And the book is about a, a man who wakes up in the morning and he's a beetle. And he's writing the book from the aspect of being a beetle. And I never forget it because I was depressed for days after I read that book. So I, I really want you to check that out. That's incredible. <laughs> I'm going to so, look that um, up. It sounds like somebody who's really wrote an interesting story. It's it's pretty it's pretty fantastic. So let me ask you this too: um, Why why do you think it is that so many small business owners put self care at the bottom of their priorities? I mean, for myself included, you know, I have to constantly uh, remind myself to take a little time out for, and and do things like skiing for two or three days, or to just. Uh, you know, get a massage or go for a long walk and take those uh, those special, special times for myself to practice self-care, whether that's getting a pedicure or getting my hair done or whatever it is. But why is it that we all struggle so much with that? Well, I think it, it really starts with when we begin a project, whether that's creating a new business or creating a project around a, a new business, we start putting all of our energy into getting that done. And we're so excited in the beginning because most of us, when we become self-employed, we're really starting to live our dream. And there's a level of excitement that comes when you've got all of the pieces coming together and you know it's 10 o'clock at night and you really know you should shut the computer down for the day, but the information's flowing so you keep doing what you're doing until like two or three o'clock in the morning. And then because you're tired the next morning, instead of getting up and doing some kind of healthy meditation or healthy movement, we drink a half a pot of coffee and then go right back to pushing again. And we get so focused on our business that we stop taking the time to take care of ourselves. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, and especially if you have a personality uh, of a high achiever or, you know, the type A personalities have even harder time <laughs> to uh, to just relax and, you know, being a, I think I'm, uh, I'm in between a, a type A and whatever else there is, but once in a while in certain arenas, I'm definitely pushing harder than in other places, you know, when it comes to, uh, writing or uh, putting classes together for students, etc. Uh, I'm definitely driven, and often I work 10, 12, 14 hours a day, 
and I forget to even eat lunches or, or you know, I just forget to drink water even sometimes. <laughs> so. <laughs> it's so easy to do because we get so focused on what what the task is. And there really is, there's a, a difference between healthy stress in our lives which is what comes with like creating a new program that you're talking about, where it's really healthy stress and excitement to do that. And then there's a tipping point where all of a sudden that excitement has started to take a toll. And keeping it in balance seems to be the, the key of really like we, we forget to stop and check in with ourselves to see, like, am I thirsty? Am I hungry? Need a, do I need to go to the bathroom? Do I just need to call a friend and take a 15-minute no-brain, like, check-in with someone else? Those things that come second nature, to many of us, we put them on the shelf for too long. Mm-hmm. Very, very, very true. So, uh, many people uh, think of too much self-care as selfish. Have you have you found that? What do, what do you say to people like that? Well, and often that's what happens when I'm talking to, and I do believe to be an entrepreneur and especially a solopreneur, we have to have a bit of that type A drive inside of us. And so you... I, lost I don't have there time for, for that. Oh, I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. It says, um, they'll say, I don't have time. Um, and mm-hmm. what I've really learned is, um, and, it's, and you fly a lot, there is that cliche that comes at the beginning of every airline flight we take, where they say to put your oxygen mask on before you help anyone else. It's true. I mean, we can't give from an empty cup. And especially, unfortunately, as women, we were taught to put other people's needs ahead of our own. So it's easier to put our needs second. And so I really believe that there is no such thing as too much self-care as if it's really care. Now, we can take anything too far and it can become a distraction or and all the way to the end in addiction so that you're not dealing with something. But if it's really care, then I think it's important that um, you really take the time to take care of yourself. And I've seen this over and over again. When people check in with themselves and they increase their own energy, kind of like what you're getting, getting ready to do on your ski trip, that's going to feed you and increase your energy. And then when it's time to come back to work, you will be in a better place to connect with the clientele that I know you're driven to help. Oh, absolutely. I, I, even when I, when I go skiing for just one day, or even if I go to the mountain for six hours, I come back completely refreshed and renewed and with a new vision for the things that I have to do and things are then not so stagnant, you know, than when I just plow through things and work for 10, 12, 14 hours a day. So that, that doesn't really serve me. I've, I've learned that there's a cutoff line that if I push over that, 
then it actually um, it's more of an impediment because I make mistakes so I, I do things over you know they're not done the way I really want them when I'm inspired and you know that as a writer how when you mm-hmm. sit down and you're writing and you're you're in this you have to be in the creative flow of things so how does one get into the creative flow it's really only through self care so. It is. And really, self-care, the way I choose to interpret self-care, is it's any intentional action that you take to care for either your physical, your mental, your emotional, or your spiritual health. And um, actually, the World Health Organization defines it as an activity that individuals, families, or communities as a group undertake with the intention of enhancing health, preventing disease, limiting illness, and restoring health. And taking those two definitions together, it doesn't have to be complicated. Um, In the programs that I've created, and I'm in the process of creating uh, a brand new program, I'm going to release a a six-part series program on enhancing self-care that ties all of this together, and I break it down into simple, moderate, and extreme. And what I've learned is something that may be simple self-care for you may fall somewhere more moderate or even extreme on my list. It's very, um, each individual gets to make those decisions, but most of us need a place to start. And that's really what I love doing is helping people find those places to start. So, Sue, can you um, uh, speak to the listeners uh, on the show today about how when a business owner learns how to practice self-care, how does that actually affect their profits? And why is that enhancing their profits when they practice self-care? So, and I believe it's true for any of us, when we are tired and cranky and overwhelmed and overworked, we are not as present in our relationships, whether it's a relationship at home or in this case, like in a professional relationship, when you're dealing with a coaching client or whatever type of client, if you're in a sales business, when it's time to connect to that other person, if we don't have the energy, if we're running on adrenaline and on a caffeine overload, we are not fully there for the people that we say we want to help. And what I have found in my own business is that meant I didn't have the time or energy to really put towards my clients. And as a result, my business started dropping away. And once I saw that, I realized that, um, and part of it was just because I lucked out and have developed this fabulous tribe of a support network, and realized once I started taking care of myself, I then had the energy to reconnect. And business models show that the more we connect, the more we truly listen and get that real connection with the people that we're trying to help, the more they feel seen, 
the more they trust us, the more they're willing to dive in and do maybe even some of the deeper work, which leads to them having a successful change and they start telling their friends. And as you and I both know, word of mouth is the best form of advertisement. Unfortunately, that can also happen the other way. If they haven't had a good experience, they'll, they'll pass that on to their friends as well. So being able to connect is vitally important as a small business owner. And in order to increase that ability to connect, it has to start with connecting with ourselves. Absolutely. That is so very true. So, so uh, what are some of the ways that, that, you know, say, say you meet somebody that's been in a pattern for 10 years as a business owner, overworking themselves and they have a nervous breakdown and then you come in to the scene to work with someone. So what, how do you start out by giving them ideas? Like what, what do you usually do with men that have been overworked and underpaid by their own businesses? Well, the first thing we do is actually, and I start all of my clients this way, is we have a 30-minute, I call it a consultation, but really it's 30 minutes where I find out where they are, what they're currently doing, if anything, what they've done in the past that they like, and if we can usually find based on their personality type that there's something out there they can check into. Now, one of the things that most men I've worked with have stopped doing is taking time, even 20 or 30 minutes, to read something purely for pleasure. That's grabbing a copy of Sports Illustrated or even finding something online to read, but something that's not business-related, something that talks about something else they have an interest in that takes them out. And then the other piece that I think all of us need is the ability to stop and do some focused breathing. And the simplest form of focused breathing I have come across is something that's called square breathing. And it's, you visualize four sides of a square. For the first square, for the first side, you take a breath and you hold it for a count of four. For the second side, you hold your breath for a count of four. For the third side, you exhale your breath for a count of four. And for the final side, you hold the exhale for a count of four. And you do that repeatedly for just a minute or two. And it actually resets the parasympathetic nervous system. It can calm the heart rate. It starts sending, or sorry, sending brain-changing chemicals into the brain. And just two minutes of focused breathing, especially in the afternoon, and many of us, we get that energy dip in the afternoon, and often we'll run to the candy machine or the coke machine or the coffee machine to build that energy. And what I really suggest to people who are just starting out with this is before you grab the candy or the coke or the coffee, you take two minutes 
and just breathe. And I often suggest to people maybe go to the bathroom if they're self-conscious in doing that in front of other people they're working with or um, if they need an excuse to take a break. That's a, a great way to just start implementing that. And I have found when they take just that small little intentional action, it starts building their energy up, and we build on that going forward. Um, even just going outside and checking in, connecting with nature. Um, I'm in Denver, Colorado, and last week we had five inches of snow. Yesterday we had 60 degrees. It's nice to go out and just take a few minutes. And, I mean, when it's 12 degrees, I don't spend a lot of time outside, but definitely when it's 60, I'll go stand outside and really just breathe in that sunshine. Simple things like that mm-hmm. are usually where I start people. Yeah, I love that. And I, I, I agree with you. Uh, the breathing is something that uh, we just don't do enough of that deep uh, tumor breathing. In Qigong, they call it tumor breathing, where you're really breathing down into your belly. I mean, most of us are not getting enough oxygen in our brain <laughs> by the afternoon, especially <laughs> if there's stress, you're in the fight or flight response to things, you know, where people are way too stressed out and then everybody's carrying their cell phones in their pockets or, you know, close by somehow on the body. So I'm really worried about that as people are not yet realizing how much uh, interference with your energy system this is actually causing. So this is that's exciting. So, um, so tell us a little bit about uh, the the book that you've written, Metamorphosis of of uh, what inspired you to write that story. I know you said earlier that you really wanted to help people, you know, assist them in realizing you know not to get too far or drift away too far into stress, etc., and that perhaps your story could inspire someone else. And, you know, the, I guess for most of us that are writing books that are authors, that's really, that was my intention also, is that I was hoping even if one person read my book and learned something, that they can perhaps not make the same mistakes. <laughs> so, Absolutely. Yeah, and, I, awesome. and, and I do believe most of us have an altruistic reason, especially as the book forms. But if I'm brutally honest, I was actually going to write a tell-all expose on all of the things I had encountered in my life um, up until that point that I got sick. And I thought I was going to be able to cleanse my soul by just blasting everybody from my past. And what I realized is I was hiring a writing coach, and I write about this in my book, I found a man, he's a fabulous writing teacher, who in a short period of time showed me, convinced me some writing assignments, writing that basically I needed to do the work around forgiving the people from my past and healing that and then moving forward in a totally different way and writing our stories can be so cathartic. And that's what happened. It literally took me three years to write Metamorphosis. 
which is much longer than most people take to write a book. But in doing it, I was also doing my own healing. I was looking at my role, my responsibility, what I had done, the beliefs I had grown up with, how they had played out. And once I started doing that really deep work, I started to see that I wasn't the only person in the world that was doing that. Um, I think so many of us, we believe we're terminally unique and that other people don't understand what we're thinking or feeling. And as I basically widened my circle of influence, I realized that most people have that hidden pain, something that they're dealing with, like the the height of my career and the depth of my, the despair of my relationship. Now, the man I was dating knew about my career, but no one professionally knew the depth of the pain I had personally. I was hiding that. And in some ways I was hiding it from myself. And so in writing Metamorphosis, as I really looked at who I was to allow myself to be in those situations, I mean, no one forced me to stay in that job for 26 years. No one forced me to keep dating Michael and living in a life that just was not honoring me and my spirit. My spirit started to deplete, but I had an active role in that. And so often I think we get to, and I know I had been so resentful at the way my career ended that I was filled with that negative energy. It was all I could think about. And unfortunately for about a year, it was all I could talk about. And I look back now and I know my friends had to have been so sick of hearing all of that until I could work my way through it. And so the the metamorphosis is as much looking at my part, my role, my responsibility, and then doing the things that I needed to do um, in cleaning up that past, reaching back to a few people. I'm now, I'm very grateful today. I'm reconnected with many of my former colleagues on Facebook and it's just turned into this lovely community of those of us that are retired from the field. And I enjoy interacting and can be a completely, I'm so much more authentic today than I ever thought possible out of defense mechanisms. Most of us, as so, you mentioned so, that you Go ahead. What happened to you during the uh, near-death experience? And then how, so, so what exactly did you have that classic experience of going through the tunnel of light? Or was it, what was that like for you? It actually, I did not have that experience. I, ever, I never actually lost consciousness. They moved me into ICU and the... Um, cardiologist looked at me and said, do I have your permission to restart your heart if it stops? I was so deeply in denial 
my first response to him was no. And it wasn't so much that I had a death wish. It was more about not realizing the intensity of what was really happening. And what it turned out was there was about a three-hour window where they didn't know if my heart was strong enough to fight off the pressure from the fluids that were building around it. And in the end, like I said, he didn't have to, at one point they were going to get in with a needle and um, remove fluids. At one point they were talking about maybe even having to do open heart surgery. Fortunately, for whatever reason, and I have my own beliefs around this, once I stopped and really realized what was happening and realized the depth of it, I found a new will to live. And that's what I carry forward today. I really believe on some level I have lost the drive, the will. Um, my anxiety level was so high had been an event professionally at work two weeks prior that had been one of the worst events of my life. Um, all of that had just cascaded down on me. And honestly, on some level, I was ready to give up. I didn't, I didn't have a fight left in me. And thankfully, mm-hmm. with the team of doctors and um, the health team that the doctors put together for me, we were able to turn that around. And it wasn't an immediate shift for me. That happened in September of 2009. I didn't actually leave my agency until April of 2010 because I was still thinking I could go back to work and live differently. You know, oh, that just happened once. And Finally, in, in, it was in March of 2010, uh, Michael, the man I had been dating, had broken up, but we'd reconnected. His little brother died suddenly. And it was as much a cosmic two-by-four for me to see this man who had, was an active, thriving Native American sun dancer, fully in tune with the Denver community, and one day had a heart attack, went into surgery, and didn't survive, that weekend was eye-opening for me on how short life really is. And Mm -hmm. it was, it took, as much as I would like to say it was one event that I woke up and I had this epiphany, my epiphany was more gradual until I couldn't not look at it. And it was that day I had sent Michael to Oklahoma to bury his brother, and I went to work. I had a spiritual experience on the way into that office that day, and I knew I could not continue to live the way I was living. And that was a huge leap of faith. I walked away from a pretty high-paying job, and went basically self-employed with no, um, you know, for 26 years I'd had a paycheck dropped in my bank account at the first of every month. And all of a sudden that security or the illusion of security 
was gone. And so mm-hmm. that was part of when I first started ramping up my business and doing those things that you and I were talking about, where putting too much energy towards getting my business started, and some of that was out of survival. I needed to replace some of that income. And then, by the grace of God, things have shifted for me, and my income has raised. Um, I'm now actually collecting a um, pension from the government that I worked for, which is pretty unheard of in this day and age. And I have, between it and my income from my own employment now, I could live a very comfortable lifestyle. But it took some work. And more than that, and I know you see this, it took finding people as a support team for me. I don't think any of us can really do this deep healing work by ourselves. I I agree with you. Um, um, When uh, people embark on this journey of feeling that they can do this by themselves, uh, it, it, it really is impossible. It takes a community of people to really address it. So what, what's curious to me, uh, you mentioned Sundance, so I'm assuming that Michael was a Native American Indian? Correct. He was a full-blooded Native American. Um, uh, his tribes were Oto, Missouri, which is not as common as his paternal side was Lakota. And he, the reason he and I connected is he was really good at having a foot in both the white man's world. He was a supervisor for security guards and a foot in what he would have called the red man's world and was emceeing powwows and was a very well-known elder in the Denver community. And he believed that basically it was no different than dating a married man, except for instead of being married to another woman, he was committed to an entire community of people that did not know I existed for several years. Even though I would attend events, they would see me, but no one knew what the real connection was because of his beliefs and values. So he never acknowledged you publicly? He did at the very end. When his brother died in March of 2010 was the first time he stood up to the community and acknowledged me, not as a former lover of his, but as someone who had been supporting the community, supporting his brother. I was actually in the process of of helping his brother get a job with Colorado State Government. And that was the first time at the Denver Indian Center in the auditorium, he actually acknowledged me, hugged me, and thanked me publicly. And that was six years after we met. That's amazing. That is amazing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what, what an interesting and, journey that you have had. So, uh, Sue, can you uh, uh, go a little bit? Uh, I'm just curious um, for what what sort of ideas that you give people when you talk about self care. Like, um, what 
suggestions do you give to people that are tangible, that are easy to implement? I think the, the number one thing, the easiest to implement is the breathing. And then the other piece is for them to look at what they enjoy. And as we were talking a few minutes ago, you listed some of my favorites. Taking the time to go and get a massage. Sometimes it's going to get a manicure or a pedicure. And, and guys are like, oh, I don't want to do that. But every guy I've ever been able to talk into going and actually getting a pedicure has absolutely loved it. Um, but on a, on a guy's self-care list, a pedicure probably falls on the extreme level, where on most women it falls much more simple. And doing things like just connecting with another human being, picking up the phone and calling someone and asking, how are you with the intent of making a connection? And doing what you're doing in a couple of, you know, your ski trip is a perfect example of self-care. Now, it's a little, it's more time-consuming and there's some more money involved. But often it's the small nuances. One of the things that I just started doing about two years ago, there are amazing coloring books for adults out today. And just sitting down and spending 20 minutes wrapped in coloring ties me so much into, I don't know if it's an inner child or some part of creativity for me, but that just taking that 20 minutes and getting lost in coloring can be so fulfilling. And another thing I'm really lucky, I live very close to the mountains. I love our mountains, and there are several places where you can find running water running over the rocks. And I will go up to the mountains. There's one particular place that I absolutely love. And I will just sit there on the side of that river watching the sun gleaming down off the water, listening to the water run over the rocks. And I'll do that for, I don't know, even just 20, 30 minutes, an hour. If it's a really, if I have something I'm really processing, I'll stay up there longer than that. But it's taking the time to really find out what refills your cup. And most of us, if we stop and think about it, Something is either from our childhood, which, I mean, there's something about coloring. And right now I have like an affirmations coloring book that I love because it kind of kills two birds with one stone. Um, Whatever refills your energy. Sometimes it's taking a 20-minute nap or even just Mm -hmm. a 20-minute meditation. Um, I, I love doing... Anything that's mindful really fills many of us. That is that is uh, just perfect. You know, when I was writing my book, and by the way, I have a confession to make to you. It took me also three years to write my book. <laughs> so <laughs> it took me exactly three years. So when you said three years, I thought, oh, my God, that is funny. I've never heard of anybody taking that long, but... You know, my, my boyfriend said to me one day, when are you going to ever finish this book? Are you ever going to finish this? I said, 
you know, it's like Leonardo da Vinci. It's like the Mona Lisa. It might take me my whole life. I might never finish it. It might never finish it. <laughs> but uh, Absolutely. I'm I am interviewing Sue Relehan. For any of the listeners on the line right now, uh, the title of the show today is, is Your Lack of Self-Care Impeding Your Profiting About the Importance of Self-Care and How We Have to Take Time Out to uh, Be Good to Ourselves and Not Work So Much, and that when we do that, we can actually become more effective in our work more creative if you're an artist or a photographer of any kind of uh, creativity and expression. It is good to take breaks and, and how, uh, how Sue is helping people uh, recognize how to take those breaks and how to teach them how to breathe. And what was that called again? The square breathing? I love that. Right. I absolutely yes. love that. That is that such a simple way of expressing it, and I just like things that are simple. Now, today, uh, Sue is giving away for the listener that's a gift. If you email her before the end of February, and I'll let Sue give you the email address here in a minute, and you mention my show, uh, and that is Revealing Conversations with Patron Nicole, uh, she will give you a 50% uh, discount on the first session of Enhanced Self-Care, which is normally uh, $200, I believe. Is that correct? It is correct, yes. Yeah, for a 90-minute session. Jeez, girl, I think I'm going to have to hire you. This is giving you, see, the thing is, when people hire you, I really get it. They give themselves permission, number one, to hire you, to teach them how to take care of themselves. And then when you have someone and you're actually putting this into action, like on a dream board or vision board, and you say, okay, this is a year where I am going to practice self-care and I'm going to have a coach. I'm going to hire Sue to help me with the arenas in my life where I'm having a hard time not caring for myself. And someone that has gone through all the stuff that you've taken, which is so incredible, because you've been on the extreme opposite of that, of not taking mm-hmm. care of yourself and, and realizing that it is so easy to fall out of balance. And I see this with so many people, and you're so right, especially women with children have a tendency to fall out of that because women's tendency is also to always be there for everyone. And if you have two or three children, like I have a friend and and she has uh, three teenagers and she runs from morning till night and then she collapses. And so sometimes I have to literally kidnap her out of her life and take her to some place <laughs> like a pedicure or drag her to a restaurant just to hold still for an hour or two, you know. <laughs> so absolutely. Anyway. And I think that happens to, not, I mean, it absolutely happens to moms when, you know, women with these young children. The other piece that happens, and I know I was guilty of this, more often than I care to, there's actually a term for it, and it's called presenteeism. And what it means is so many people show up at work when they're sick, 
And instead of staying home and not sharing their germs, they think out of some sense of loyalty to their business, they have to work through that illness. And there are studies now that are showing that presenteeism is one of the highest costs a small business can go through because the germs spread so fast. And I know it's something that they're talking about in the news here locally in town. We have a measles outbreak, which has been gone for, I don't know, 30, 40 years. And they have on the news, like where this person has visited so that if you the possibility you may have been exposed. Just going to work when you have the flu and you sit at your desk and you cough or if you're a solopreneur and you just don't have any energy and being in bed with a cup of tea is probably better than trying to push through with a client that day for both of you. Mm-hmm. Well, I love this word, presenteeism. I love it. And that is very true. Uh, have you ever studied uh, companies like Google of what and how they organize their um, employees and how they support an environment where people can be um, 100% creative and taking as much time out as possible throughout the day and lounging around and having a smoothie or eating fruit or whatever. And they have these meditation rooms at Google where people can actually chill out and be by themselves or take a half an hour nap. And they found also in a study with pilots how important it is that they take uh, these little power naps in between, you know. And I I don't think it means nap. I mean, I know as I get older, I like to to nap. And I I meditated for many, many years. And so uh, in the days when I lived in India and I was meditating 10, 11 hours a day, I was used to being in that still place of, of quiet. And for me, having quiet time and living in um, that peaceful environment and my environment has to look aesthetically pleasing to me or I can't relax. So I think also there's a lot going on in people's houses with feng shui and placement where there's so much disruption in people's homes do you ever do you ever go into people's homes and recommend that they declutter and things like that in order to relax? I recommend they do it. I don't actually go in. I have a fabulous friend here in town who does feng shui. And she also one of the things she's really good at is she does that for um outdoor spaces. And so I usually will refer people to someone who is better in tune. I don't have the, she's been in my home and helped me change the energy in my own home so I could speak to her ability to do that. I would rather refer to someone who that's their expertise. But that's definitely something we have people look at is what is your environment like? Is it pleasing? Do you like to go to work, even if it's your dining room table or a desk in the kitchen, do you feel good when you're sitting there? Can we add things to the environment? Even if we're not doing the full feng shui thing, 
Are there pictures? Do you want a picture of a family member or something that just makes you feel good so that when you're sitting there, it increases your energy? That's a great point. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So there are so many components of um you know, de-stressing or relaxation, that type of work that you do. And I I just love um, that you are available for people. So, so can you uh, share your website and your email with the folks so they know how to get a hold of you if anyone wants to make an appointment today? Absolutely. So my website, and um, we are in the process of revamping it, but my website is my name. It's www.suerellahan, so that's S-U-E-R-E-L-I-H-A-N.com. And that has some information on who I am and what I do, and that has a link to my book on it. And um, at the moment, I think my book is for sale as an uh, electronic version for $3.99, um, It's not expensive at all. And then the offer that we were talking about, if people who hear the show email me at info, so that's I-N-F-O, at suerellahan.com. Again, it's S-U-E-R-E-L-I-H-A-N.com. If they mention you and your show and that they've heard this um, program today, I would love to offer them 50% off my normal rate. I normally charge $200 for a 90-minute session. And I would love to talk to them and just see if this is something that would work for them and kind of what services I offer versus the needs that they have. And normally we can come up with something some way in the program. I offer some packages that I'd explain at that time And I just, my favorite thing in the world today is empowering people to make the changes that make their lives better. Mm, That is so beautiful. Well, thank you so much for being on the show today. It was an absolute pleasure uh, to meet you, and hopefully in the future we get to uh, meet in person. That would be fabulous. Yes, it would be. And you're in Colorado, right, Sue? Right. I'm actually in Denver proper. I'm in the, within the city limits of Denver, Colorado. Well, a friend of mine from Oregon just moved to Colorado near Telluride. That's uh, how close is Denver to Telluride? <laughs> that's, a, that's the other end of the state. It's about a 10-hour drive from Denver. Great. Okay. I was going to go fly over there, visit her, and go skiing. (laughs) Well, you may, depending on how you fly in, you could always fly into Denver and stay here for a day and then fly over from Denver to tell you why. There are a lot of people that do that, that stop in the city for a day and then go on to their trip. So there's lots of options. That, that's a great idea, and let's talk uh, some more about that. I have your information, your phone number, email, and website, again, for our listeners. 
if you're on the line today, uh, Sue is offering her session for uh, 90 minutes for enhancing self-care for only $100. So please call her or email her. And uh, I am uh, super, super glad to be going up into the mountains today and enjoying some ski time with 12 inches of powder in Mount Ashland. For those of you uh, that are joining my webinar with the Seven Insights, it's listed on Facebook. So uh, please send me a message or an email at Petra at PetraNicole.com, and that is P-E-T-R-A-N-I-C-O-L-L. You can also find us on Facebook or Instagram and Pinterest or LinkedIn. We would love to hear from you. Give us some feedback about the show. And thank you again, Sue, for joining us. And we hope to see you next Tuesday. Have a lovely day. Ciao, ciao. Thank you. Take care. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.